covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Kind of back to normal on the podcast this week. Last week we did things a little bit different as we uh, focused in on the Brewers' no-hitter and specifically the broadcast. If you didn't hear last week's podcast, uh, it's still available. You can scroll back through the uh, feed. We talked with uh, Jeff Levering and Craig Krishan last week to uh, discuss uh, kind of their takes on going through broadcasting a no-hitter. So that was a fun podcast last week. Back to more of the uh, standard podcast this week uh, as Kyle Osneski, the managing editor over at Brew Crew Ball, he's going to join us coming up in just a few moments. Our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter. Find me at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you do listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and can leave a ranking and review, that would be awesome. Also, subscribe to the podcast. That is good as well. Helps uh, more and more people find the podcast, which is good. Been hearing from some folks lately that they just found the podcast for the first time ever, and that's always uh, that's good, especially if they happen to like it and continue to listen on, a, on an everyday basis. One other uh, note for you, uh, Jerry Augustine and myself, we did a show this past week for a 94.5 ESPN, a, a special uh, show out at Summerfest. We did that on Saturday, and if you didn't hear it live, that show is also available on this very podcast feed, so you can go back and uh, listen to that as well as we spent a, a lot of time kind of talking about the current state of the Brewers. And the current state is that they are headed to the postseason. They clinched the postseason this past week. Um, it, it's in. I think it's pretty incredible how little – celebration how 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 little anything was done because of it and not that's a bad thing i actually think it's a good thing i just when when you think through the history of this organization to think that they could be at a point where they could actually not even celebrate clinching a postseason berth that says a lot that says a lot about what they are accomplishing this year and it is uh, it's pretty cool they've got the cardinals coming up this week they got to win uh, two of those four games, and they clinch the NL Central. Cardinals are playing great baseball, fantastic baseball. Arguably, not even arguably, they are the hottest team in Major League Baseball. They have moved into the second wild card position in the National League. They have a ton of momentum, and if they're going to miss the playoffs, they're going to miss the playoffs because of the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they've got seven games left against the Brewers. They've got a little bit of a cushion there for that second wild card spot. Uh, the Brewers are really the team that controls the fate of the Cardinals and whether or not they are going to uh, get into the postseason. And you know, with a three-game lead and other teams that are, you know, the Reds aren't doing much right now. The Padres aren't doing much right now. Those other teams that are contending for uh, that second wild card, they're not really doing much. So really. The Brewers could have success against the Cardinals, and St. Louis could still sneak their way into the postseason somehow, some way. The only real issue with this team right now, I think, is injuries. And you hope that once they clinch the division, they're able to manage things the rest of the way to be as healthy as possible. That being said, you still got to go out and play every night. You still got to put players out there. Starters are still going to be out there. You know, Lorenzo Cain got banged up making just an incredible catch the other day. Incredible. The amount of ground he covered in such a short amount of time was ridiculous. Certainly a candidate for catch of the year. Um, That one and probably that Billy McKinney catch 
uh, earlier this season. Was that against San Diego, if I remember correctly, when he was out in left field? To me, that was the catch of the year. I think the Lorenzo Cain catch uh, this weekend against the Cubs might take the cake uh, over that one. They're both really, 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 really uh, good catches. But um, do you do you kind of convey the message to Cain after the Brewers have clinched the NL Central? Hey, you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go slamming into walls to make catches. Like, how do you how do you get guys to kind of pump the brakes a little bit when they're wired the way Lorenzo Cain is wired? I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, you hope that they can get healthy. Willie Adamas, he is set to return in all likelihood on Monday. You would think they'll be very careful with him, maybe not playing him on an everyday basis. We should see Tyrone Taylor back uh, sooner than later. Maybe he's a Monday return as well. Um, no real indication on when Roddy Telez is going to come back. We thought we would see a Visayo Garcia this weekend against the Cubs. That was the indication going into the series. It didn't work out that way as he continues to deal with a bit of a back issue. But they are going to continue to be very, very careful and do whatever they need to do to try to be as healthy as possible going into the postseason. We're already having the conversations about what that postseason roster is going to look like. It's a really, really fun conversation to have. That conversation picks up a little bit when you get closer to the end of the season. I think, you know, right now the Brewers are still in this place where it almost feels like they want to clinch the division before they're even going to start talking about that next thing. Even as a team that has already clinched a playoff spot, it feels like they want to clinch the division and then maybe they can start addressing the way they'll do things. At some point in time, you'd think that maybe they take that foot off the pedal uh, for starting pitchers. You know, what's that What's that perfect number that you want pitchers to be throwing for the week or week, week and a half before the postseason? You, are you, do, you, do you have them go throw 70 pitches, 80 pitches, something like that in their next couple starts just to make sure that they are they're sharp, they're fresh, and they haven't been stressed in recent starts? You know, so far... The starters have still been going deep into games, still throwing a lot of pitches. I was actually a little surprised Corbin Burns made his first start after the uh, combined no-hitter the other day. Coming off an outing where he threw 115 pitches. That was a lot of pitches. And I thought there was a possibility that maybe we would see them pull back a little bit in that next start. Maybe have them throw 80 pitches, you know, get them through five innings and get them out of there. They didn't do that. And uh, at some point in time, you would think that They'll do some version of that, but then at the same time, how they handle starting pitching going into the final weekend is going to be really interesting to me as well because they'll finish up on a Sunday against the Dodgers. That's going to be on October 3rd, and they won't open up the postseason for four more days after that. So if you go into that final weekend against the Dodgers and say, Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta are not appearing in this series— well, then those guys are going to go a week plus before making their postseason debut for the year. And that's that's probably not what you want. So what, do you go have them start those games and maybe go two or three innings? Uh, are you are you focused on bullpen sessions for those guys? What do you do? It's uh, These are the kind of questions that we're really going to be able to start talking about and addressing once they do clinch the division. They can clinch as soon as Tuesday. If they win Monday, Tuesday, 
They would clinch on Tuesday. If they win Monday and or two, uh, Monday or Tuesday, and then Wednesday, they clinch Wednesday. Uh, if they win Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday and Thursday, there's a lot of ands and ors and all that. Then it would be on Thursday. So once they get two wins against the Cardinals in this series, the worst thing that you would have happen is say St. Louis takes three out of four, and then all of a sudden you're going into that Mets series. To me, it would be perfect. You clinch a playoff berth against the Cubs, and then you clinch the division against the Cardinals. Those are the two teams that uh, Brewers fans most dislike, whether it's Cubs 1, Cardinals 2, or Cardinals 1, Cubs 2. doesn't really matter, but uh, that's those are the two teams that I think Brewers fans dislike the most, and now you've clinched against one of them, and you've got an opportunity to clinch the division against the other. All right, uh, this week's featured uh, conversation is with uh, Kyle Lesneski. He is the managing editor at Brew Crew Ball, so let's get to it. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very well, very happy to welcome uh, back on to the podcast. He is the uh, managing editor at Brew Crew Ball. He's also part of the staff with the Milwaukee Milkman. We always talk a little Milkman baseball with him as well whenever he's on the podcast. He is uh, Kyle Lesneski. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle underscore L-E-S-N-I-E-W-S-K-I. I'm guessing the vast majority of people who are listening to this podcast and are on Twitter are already following Kyle. Hey, Kyle, thanks for the time. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing good. Uh, Brewers, for the most part, playing some good baseball. Their magic number, as we talk on Sunday night, sitting at three. So they got a series coming up against St. Louis where they have to win two of the four to clinch the division. Um, it's been a while since we've had you on the podcast, so let me kind of back up a little bit before we start talking about right now. What is your level of surprise, if there is any level of surprise, that the Brewers have been as dominant as they have been this year and were able to build such a, a large lead in the division? Um, you know, I would certainly say that I am pretty surprised the way that uh, everything has kind of gone this year, not only for the Brewers, but for the rest of the division as well. I mean, when you came into the year, uh, the way things were stacking up, it looked like it was going to be a pretty competitive uh, you know, three or even four team race um, throughout the season, and it just really hasn't ended up working out that way. Um, the Brewers have really kind of just sprinted ahead of everybody else, and um, while the Cardinals and and uh, Reds have both been kind of competitive uh, throughout the year, um, obviously not anywhere close to the level of baseball that the Brewers have played this year. And then, um, you know, Milwaukee has Milwaukee specifically has has played a pretty significant role in ending sort of the the Cubs' most recent core and their run for the last several years and they've uh, kind of embarked on a, on a rebuilding process and you know I think people kind of thought maybe that was the way things might end up working out if uh, you know the team sort of tanks uh, at the beginning of the year and throughout the summer and um, unfortunately for the Cubs and for fans in Chicago that's kind of the way that things have gone but uh, you know for us here in Milwaukee and um, uh, us Brewers fans I don't think anybody's really losing any sleep over that. 
The Brewers win every series against the Cubs this year. They tie a franchise record for most wins against a single opponent in a season. You mentioned you go back a few months and the Cubs were playing some pretty good baseball and then they uh, they hit the Brewers and that was right in the middle of a really bad streak of games for the Cubs and that's kind of what led to them eventually going to uh, going to a sell-off. Cubs fans will always tell you, well, they've won a World Series and the Brewers haven't, and I guess there's some truth to that, but how... How remarkable is it that the Brewers are able to build something where they're going to the postseason for a fourth straight year? It certainly looks like with the pitching that they have, this is going to be a team that continues to challenge for the postseason on an every-year basis, whereas the Cubs go into a full rebuild and they sell off a bunch of players despite the fact that they're in a place and they're in a market and they're in a ballpark where they're essentially printing money. Yeah, you know, I think... If you're a Cubs fan, I would I would have to feel pretty massively disappointed about the way things have gone for the organi- for that organization specifically over the last few years. Um, you know, it it almost kind of feels like they had all of this build up and run into the 2015 and 2016 seasons, and then once they won that World Series, it seems almost like like things kind of got a little bit complacent and they weren't as aggressive. On the free agent markets, um, they didn't go out and continue adding those those uh, you know important pieces to the roster and that kind of stuff. And really, I think that the biggest indictment is on their player development, kind of as a whole. Um, once once they graduated that, that big core that big core of guys and uh, Bryant and, and Baez and Schwarber, um, you know they they really didn't bring any very notable prospects or anything up through the minor leagues after that and that sort of lack of supplemental depth and lack of of players coming up and contributing when they needed it uh, I think went a long way towards kind of contributing to their sort of demise and and pushing them towards this phase because now they're at a place where major league the major league roster was poor and wasn't put very wasn't put together very well this season and they had to make a decision to sell off all of these pieces and now they're just kind of going to be starting back from square one so you know as you mentioned the Cubs essentially print money down there in in Chicago in the Wrigleyville area and um, there's certainly going to be a lot of room for them to go out and try to be very aggressive on the free agent markets and um, you know for a, a team like that where they can find pretty much any player that they would like um, you know, they they don't necessarily have to endure another five-year rebuild process if they don't want to. Um, and with the way the Brewers kind of went about their rebuilding process and how quickly they were able to turn things around now into four consecutive postseasons, um, you got to kind of wonder if that's going to be sort of the way that the Cubs try to do things, sort of replicate the Brewers' way, which is funny because, you know, if you think back to 2015, 2016, when the Brewers were kind of going through that process, all of the talk was, well, the Brewers need to burn it down like the Cubs. They need to burn it down like the Astros, trade everybody that they can and and just kind of build up and hopefully, you know, in five years they'll be good again. Um, you know, David Stearns and, and his staff obviously did a tremendous job on identifying um, identifying the players that could come in and contribute quickly and, and get the Brewers back to the place uh, the place that they wanted to be in, in postseason competitive baseball and it uh, doesn't look like um, doesn't look like the Brewers are gonna be going anywhere away from there for at least the next several years. You know, you mentioned the from a Chicago perspective how they 
they didn't really develop a whole lot of high-level talent after that big that big group came in. And I was thinking about this with the Brewers because the Brewers had one of the top minor league systems in all baseball, whether you looked at the Baseball America rankings, the MLB pipeline, and then that started that started going away a little bit from a ranking standpoint. It really started with the Yelich trade and it continued with uh, trades that were made at the deadline in, in 18 and, and in 2019. And all of a sudden, the prospect rankings in terms of organizational prospect rankings really took a hit. But the Brewers at the same time have continued to find a way to develop players who at the very least can be helpful at the big league level. Um, and, and then, you know, players like an Aaron Ashby comes up and all of a sudden he, I mean, he looks like he's as legit as it comes. And there's other players as well. How much credit do the Brewers deserve for, you know, maybe even if the, the organizational rankings from third-party sources didn't say it, they have continued to be able to produce talent through the minor league system uh, even after it took a hit with some trades that they made? Yeah, I would say that um, the organization deserves a lot of credit for being able to graduate players to the big league level who are able to come up and, and contribute in an immediate respect um, where the players don't have to always go out and, and try to find players and, and do all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, they, It's been a lot more so on the pitching side of things, obviously. Uh, the Burns, the Woodruff, the Freddie Peralta, those are the, those are the guys that everybody thinks of right off the bat. Um, but you know, there's, there's the Adrian Hauser that's been around the organization forever. Who's really settled into, you know, a pretty important role at the big league level. Um, there's the Aaron Ashby that you mentioned. There's, you know, the, the Brent Suter talk about, you know, what developmental win that Brent Suter is a former 32nd round draft pick who has now pitched for the last six years in the big leagues and, and just continues to thrive with an eight mile an hour fastball. Um, you know, even the even the guys like um, Drew Rasmussen, who they went out and traded earlier this year, and they turned you know him into Willie Adams, and um, it's just a lot of those guys, a lot of the guys who have been able to come up and contribute in the bullpen, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Jake Cousins is another another great example of that. Somebody that was picked up out of independent baseball. Um, Justin Topa, another player out of independent baseball. Uh, although he's you know dealt with some injuries this year, obviously hasn't played a significant role as the organization has hoped. But you know it just it just goes to show that the Brewers um, have really been able to identify talent in a lot of different places. And um, you know there was a really interesting article um, from the Athletic earlier this week that talked about uh, the Brewers and and their player development. Um, just just the way that they go about developing players and uh, organizationally, you know, there's a lot of talk about different organizational philosophies. And I think the big one that everybody thinks of is the supposed cardinal way where, you know, the, the organization teaches all their players, like, this is the way we want you to play. This is the right way to play the game. Um, just have, have very specific teachings that they impart throughout their all, all the levels of minor league baseball and stuff. Whereas the Brewers way uh, seems to have been, and, and Craig Council said this uh, early on during his managerial tenure with the Brewers, and this is one thing that has kind of stuck with me that, that he said was his goal is for his players to be great at what they're good at. So the Brewers have really made their bones in finding players with identifiable skills and doing everything that they can to take those skills 
and make them even better. Figuring out what a player is already good at and and how they can make that player even better within that specific skill set. Um, and, you know, tailoring those kinds of instructions and, and that sort of stuff individually to each player versus, you know, a blanket philosophy um, where they try to fit, you know, every player into the same sort of mold. Uh, has certainly seemed to work out very well for the Brewers because they have a lot of different players with a lot of different kind of profiles. Um, and it seems like, you know, each of those guys has just sort of gelled together to, to create this sort of, you know, I don't want to say super team, but this is, you know, in terms of at least win-loss record, there's a good chance that this is the best team that, um, you know, fans in Milwaukee Brewers baseball have, have ever really seen. And, uh, you know, I think that's, like I said, is just a, a significant credit to uh, David Stearns and Matt Arnold and the rest of the front office and player development staff for uh, the different avenues and ways that they've gone and found players and helped those players come into the organization feel at home, and get better. So much was made this year. And I, right here, I'm, I'm included in this, and I was talking about it last year, uh, way, you know, way before it was even going to be a thing. But so much made of going from the 60 games to the 162 games and how that might impact pitching. Brewers have had a six-day rotation pretty much all season long. They've really been able to limit injuries when it comes to pitching. Corbin Burns was on the COVID list for a little while. That's obviously something different. Freddie Peralta had a bit of a shoulder issue for a little while. Brett Anderson has dealt with injuries, but it's Brett Anderson. Like that's that's nothing new for him. Yeah, I mean, that's, that kind of goes along with him. That has nothing to do with 60-162. Overall, do you feel like the Brewers have done a nice job of managing the challenges that go along with that 60-162? to yeah, I would I would say so, and I think that um, the amount of usable pitching depth that they entered the year in, and um, the moves that they've made throughout the year have really gone a long way towards um, making sure that that they were going to be able to do that. And uh, you know, that was the biggest thing I think that that everybody was talking about coming into the season. As you mentioned, how teams were going to manage this big jump in innings, and you know, I think. The Brewers have, have done so pretty deftly in, in the way that they've employed a six-man rotation, the way that they've skipped guys' starts. Um, if you remember, even going back to the All-Star break, like they made a point of skipping a start um, for every one of the pitchers so that they could give them uh, that sort of extended rest. And, um, you know, at the end of the season, uh, Brandon Woodruff is really the only guy who might have a chance to get to 30 starts. Um, but he's also probably got innings base uh, over his career of any of, the, of any of the guys that they or any of the younger pitchers that they have in the rotation right now so that's not necessarily a surprise but um, you know I think I think the biggest one uh, that I was kind of curious to see how they were going to handle was going to be Freddie Peralta because he only threw um, about 30 innings I think last year altogether and uh, I don't think had crossed a hundred innings um, in any of the individual seasons since he had really come up to the big league level in 2018. Um, so, you know, the, the way that they've been able to kind of limit his innings and um, keep him effective throughout the year, I think, has been has been really interesting to watch. And uh, obviously he's really thrived, I think, um, I think in a way that's, that's even surprised me, uh, just the, the way he's been able to kind of cut down on his walks um, and, and everything to, to really morph into the effective pitcher that he's become this year, because that was always his biggest Achilles heel was, was when he would beat himself with the free passes. But, um, you know, Craig Council and, and uh, the 
the pitching coaches and everything in Milwaukee have really done a great job in, in managing the workloads and, and spreading things out and, and keeping guys fresh and, and making sure that the relievers, too, haven't been overworked and working too many back-to-back days, multiple days in a row, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's really been an excellent job uh, done by this organization, and I don't, I don't even think that that's necessarily surprising because uh, the way that the Brewers have operated over the last several years is they've been one of the more conservative teams and how they divvy up their innings and all that kind of stuff over the course of a 162 game season. And you know, we've heard for years and years now about the 27 outs philosophy and and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, if, if any organization was going to be well equipped to navigate the challenges of, of getting through this unique season and its unique challenges, I think it was was going to be the Brewers. Very strong likelihood, as we mentioned, that the Brewers will clinch the NL Central this week. And then once they do that, maybe they can start more focusing, you know, really making changes in the way they play to focus towards the postseason. In terms of, especially those three top starters who are all setting innings records for, for a season what would you like to see the Brewers do to manage their innings, and, but also keeping them sharp and you know, just handling them going into the postseason over the final couple weeks of the year? You know, I'm, I'm sure that we'll probably see some more muted starts, um, you know, limiting guys to maybe four or five innings, uh, something like that. Because, um, you know, there, there's really no reason uh, to to push these guys any any further than that at this point. The wins and losses don't necessarily matter uh, for anything other than, you know, trying to set the franchise record and wins. But ultimately, you know, this this team has said that their goal is more than just getting to the postseason. It's, it's getting to and, and winning the championship. So I think that's, that's going to be what their primary focus is. And, um, you know, they've talked about kind of soul playing it with some of these injuries with the position players and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we've, we've seen how they've, um, you know, been pretty delicate with, uh, bringing Willie Adonis back from his injury and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, playing it, playing it pretty safe with Abisail Garcia and, uh, Lorenzo Cain after their, um, little bit of bang up, bang ups in the last, um, the last several days as well. So, uh, I would expect that they're going to do the same, the same with the pitching staff. They're going to kind of ease off things a little bit here over the, the last couple of weeks of the season and, um, give guys a little bit of a breather while at the same time giving them enough work to keep them sharp for uh, you know that, that opening series in the NLDS. They clinch a playoff berth this past week. They don't celebrate it. You mentioned they've got bigger fish to fry. It. I think if we would go back five-plus years, if you would tell a Brewers fan that there's going to be a year where the Brewers clinch a postseason berth and don't celebrate it, there would be a little bit of a surprise to that. But it just talks; it speaks to what they've been able to accomplish this year. Do you like that attitude and the fact that they did not celebrate the other night? Yeah, I mean, that's all, you know, that's, that's all kind of individually, like, to each team, they're going to do what they want to do. Um, you know, if... if they weren't necessarily all that jazzed about clinching a, a playoff berth when they know that they still have a division to clinch and um, and they're they're close to accomplishing that goal. Uh, it certainly makes sense that they would give more of their primary focus towards finishing off that goal and finishing off the the clinching of the division and, and kind of uh, you know keeping keeping things a little bit uh, relegated and, until they until they reach that ultimate goal. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to disparage them for not 
pop and sh- pop and champagne bottles because they clinch the division and then three days later doing the same or because they clinch a playoff berth and then three days later doing the same thing because they clinch the division with you know ten and fifteen games left in the season something like that so um, you know I think it just speaks to the level of expectation that uh, this team has for themselves and the level of expectation that that we as fans can have for this team. Uh, you know, they obviously seem extremely confident in themselves. So as fans, hopefully that, um, that can help us feel confident in them heading into the postseason and, and giving us, you know, something that we've never seen before, which is a, a World Series championship for the Milwaukee Brewers. As healthy as pitching has been, like we talked about earlier, they have dealt with injuries just as just about every team in Major League Baseball has this year. And they're continuing to deal with them. We expect to see Willie Adamas back maybe as soon as Monday. Uh, Visayo Garcia should be back in the lineup sooner than later. Same thing with Tyrone Taylor, who's been playing at AAA. The Lorenzo Cain thing doesn't seem like it's too terribly serious. Uh, they hope to get Rowdy Telez back. But that's a lot of guys. Like the it, not, None of these seem like really big deal sort of injuries or the ones that are. They're coming to an end. These guys should be back sooner than later. But there's still a lot of them. Um, does that concern you? Like we're we're less than two weeks out from the end of the regular season. Does it concern you about the injuries that either are going on right now or the ones that still might happen over the next two weeks? Um, I guess I wouldn't necessarily express much concern at this point, just because of the way that the organization has kind of downplayed a lot of these issues. Um, you know, if for a guy like Adonis, I'm sure that uh, if the standings were in a different place. Um, he would probably be pushing it a lot more quickly to try and get back. Uh, I'm sure if the standings were in a different place, Lorenzo Kane wouldn't have taken a day off today for general soreness. Um, you know, I think that where the Brewers are and the, the position that they've earned themselves over the course of the regular season uh, has kind of dictated the way that they can treat a lot of these injuries going down the stretch. Um, they can afford to give guys some breaks. And, um, you know, if, if a guy is out there playing every day, we don't really hear about what he may or may not be dealing with. But I can tell you that pretty much every single one of these players is in the training room every day before and after the game dealing with something or another. And, you know, at, at this point in the year, pretty much every player could potentially be on the injured list for something or another. That's just the nature of the game over a 162-game season. And even over a a shortened 60-game season. Like, you know, it, it's it's difficult on the body to go out there and to prepare and play in a baseball game every single day. And, um, you know, it's, it's really a testament to the physical shape that each and every single one of these players is in to get through a 162-game season and then postseason on top of that, spring training even before that. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I wouldn't necessarily be concerned about a lot of these, you know, minor, seemingly minor injuries right now um, because, you know, we're only here, we're only really hearing about it because the guys aren't aren't playing. Like, oh, you know, this guy's getting a day off, we're going to slow play it because he's dealing with this or because he's dealing with that. But, you know, if it was a one-game lead or if we're chasing somebody in the standings, um, then, you know, we're probably treating those situations a lot differently. Brewers are getting ready to open up a series against the Cardinals. Magic number three as we talk, so they got to win two of these next four to, to clinch the division. But the Cardinals have been on one heck of a run. What what do you make of what they have been able to do to all of a sudden extend their lead for that second wild card now to three games? 
you know, it's just one of those things. It seems like you can never count out the Cardinals and they always figure out some, some kind of devil magic to <laughs> be right there in, in the postseason chase at the end of the season. And, um, you know, it's, it's one thing that as Brewers fans, we've learned really never to take that specific team and that specific organization lightly. Um, I think, you know, we all kind of remember, uh, how, Things worked out in 2011 when the Brewers won the division and the Cardinals came in as a wild card and, and ended up taking them out. And uh, you know, I'm sure that the Brewers are hoping to avoid that same sort of fate this time around. But um, you know, I think any time that the Cardinals are there at the end of the season and, and they're in the postseason, just based on the history of that organization and this organization, uh, it's one of those things that always makes you feel a little bit nervous. Yeah, it's funny you say that. So I get asked sometimes on, on my post-game show, you know, who who I want to see the Brewers play and who I don't want to see them play. And I've said that I think I think the perfect path for the Brewers is Braves in the Divisional Series and Giants in the Championship Series. I'd rather them not play the Dodgers. I'd rather them not play the Cardinals. And I'd rather them not play the Phillies as, a, as another team with, with Bryce Harper in the middle of the lineup, the, the, the pitching that they have and the pitching success that they've had against the Brewers. Uh, if I, I feel like Braves-Giants is probably the the highest percentage possibility for the Brewers to get to the World Series. Would you agree or disagree with that general thought? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that I think the Dodgers are another team that I would hate to run into because, you know, for as good as the Brewers pitching has been this year, I think the Dodgers are, you know, kind of the one other team that can sort of stack up their rotation and be like, hey, we've got a bunch of dudes too. Um, so, you know, that, that would certainly be, I think, an entertaining series if, if that's the way that things ended up working out. But, um, yeah, if, if there's any way that the Brewers can avoid playing the Dodgers, uh, and certainly any way that they can avoid playing the Cardinals, I think that that would be to uh, to their benefit as they try to win a World Series this year. Before we let you go, I know the season comes to an end for the Milwaukee Milkmen. The season does not end the way uh, you guys would have liked for it to end, but uh, you're you're a part of that uh, that organization and, and that staff. Just take me. I mean, this is still a, pretty much a brand new organization. You guys are having a ton of success. You're a big part of the players who are being brought in. You're getting a lot of guys who put up really nice individual seasons, and of course that leads to uh, good team seasons as well. Uh, what was this year's edition of the Milkman like for you? Um, you know, this year was uh, this year was really interesting for me. Um, my first season with the team was uh, last year in 2020 was the shortened season and, um, you know, dealing with uh, a little bit of a smaller league and, and that kind of stuff. It was, um, you know, kind of a, a big change going from the 60 games to 100 game schedule and um, dealing with the, the additional length of the season and that kind of stuff. And um, the roster rules were a little bit different this year uh, where we had to um, fit more within uh, the structure as far as uh, a specific amount of veterans play, veteran players that were allowed to have, a specific amount of rookie players that were required to have, um, whereas last year, uh, because of how things worked out with minor league baseball and everything like that, um, it was you know a lot more open in terms of the the players and service classes that we could go after. So um, you know we had to do a lot more preparation for this season. Um, you know it was a, it was a lot different in terms of uh, going out and, and targeting different players that that we wanted because we had to pay a lot more attention to these service classes and that kind of stuff. Um, 
But in the end, we had a, a, a very successful season. Uh, we finished 59 and 41, uh, qualified for the playoffs as a wild card team. Um, unfortunately, we lost in the wild card game. Um, but we did have a number of uh, individual players stand out on our team this year. Uh, none, none more so than Milwaukee native Adam Brett Walker, um, who uh, played um, played his high school baseball up at Milwaukee Lutheran. Um, was briefly a, a farmhand with the with the Brewers. Um, I think in 2016 he was on the 40 man roster for a little bit, um, but he uh, set the league record this year: uh, 33 home runs in 100 games. Uh, he had 101 runs batted in, hit 320 with an OPS over a thousand. Um, and at the end of the year, was named by the league uh, league managers all vote at the end of the year managers and media representation. Uh, he was voted MVP and became the first player in the league's history to not only win multiple MVP awards but to win them in back-to-back seasons. As he was the, the MVP of the, the league last year as well. Um, but we also had the uh, the league starting pitcher of the year in Miles Smith, um, who was really interesting to watch because he had been a relief pitcher for the last several years and, and one of the most dominant closers in the league for the last several years in the American Association um, before we transitioned him into being a starter this year. And uh, it took a couple of starts for him to kind of get his feet under him at the beginning of the year, but um, once uh, once we had it into June, he kind of hit his stride and um, ended up leading the league in wins, leading the league in strikeouts. Uh, he finished fourth in earned run average and, um, like I said, was named the starting pitcher of the year at the end of the year. And then uh, we also had the rookie pitcher of the year in Nate Hadley, who was a uh, former draft pick of the Twins, um, came out of UCLA. Uh, was His first year with our organization this year um, quickly came in and within the first couple of weeks of the season had worked from uh, being sort of a, a little relief arm into a high leverage role into uh, kind of earning his spot as the team's closer and uh, went through the season, um, finished the year with an ERA of, of uh, 1.4 in um, about 50 innings. Uh, really just what was incredible to watch all year, uh, this, this 24-year-old guy going up against players with double-A, triple-A, uh, even MLB experience, and just, you know, incredible mound presence. Uh, there was there was never a moment that was too big for him. Um, just just really impressive to watch somebody come in their their first year in the league. Uh, somebody who had you know played a little bit of of a ball, but ostensibly this was the highest level of competition that he had ever faced. And and he came in and not only missed a beat, but but thrived all year long. So um, a lot of individual success stories uh, for the team this year. Um, we also moved. Uh, 12 players over the course of the season back to uh, either affiliated baseball or um, help it, helping them get uh, foreign contracts uh, overseas. Um, so that was very successful for our organization as well, obviously. Um, while our goal is to win games and, and win championships here in Milwaukee, uh, we also want to be kind of a stepping stone for these players as, as they either get to or get back to affiliated baseball or, um, you know, find find those jobs in Mexico or Korea or Japan or Taiwan or, um, you know, where, wherever their baseball careers may take them. So um, I would say that uh, overall this was a very successful year for us, for the Milkmen. Um, you know, we, we didn't get that championship, but we've got a, a very strong core of players in place, and I think we've got a very strong um, process in terms of our player procurement and player development that 
that we'll be able to kind of hit the ground running this off season, uh, shore up a couple of a couple of positions that we want to, and and be ready to uh, get back to the championship next year. We've talked about this before. I worked in independent ball. I love indie ball. I always hated that there was a stigma that went along with it from affiliated ball, and that's kind of going away as Major League Baseball is starting to partner with uh, independent uh, independent leagues to uh, as, as partner leagues, and the American Association was one of those. What was uh, – it just made me happy, A, because I think – I thought it brought credibility to something that deserved credibility, one. But from a, uh, from a, from a team perspective – was there any impact? Did you see anything that was a direct result of the uh, of being part of a, a partner league? Yeah, I would say that the um, the volume of player transfers that occurred not only from our team and from our league back to affiliated ball, um, but from the other partner leagues as well, I think was a direct result of the relationship that um, Major League Baseball has worked to establish with these other um, independent partner leagues. Uh, it's just it it's made it a lot more open in terms of uh, the types of data and statistics that are available on, on all of these players and um, their, the ability for organizations to be able to pick up on and, and recognize when a player is really kind of standing out and um, figuring out, you know, that he can come in and help at a level, whether it's a ball, double A, triple A, or, you know, we've, we've seen several players that have, that have made it up to the big league this year as well. So, um, you know, I think as you said, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of shedding the stigma that, um, you know, independent baseball isn't, uh, isn't, you know, a men's league or something like that. Like this is very highly competitive baseball. Like all of our players have played either high level college baseball went undrafted and then came into our league or, have played in the minor leagues, have been have been draft picks, have been players who have gotten a double A, triple A. Um, you know, we've we had three players with MLB experience on our roster last year. We had six or seven players with MLB experience on our roster last year. Just, you know, there there's a lot of talent in our league. There's a lot of talent in these leagues. And um, with the contraction of minor league baseball and uh, the increased spotlight that we're seeing shined on these partner leagues, I think that it's going to go um, a long way towards increasing exposure for teams like the Milkmen and, and leagues like the American Association who uh, really focus on winning and putting a quality product on the field and providing uh, a quality experience for the fans in the stands. You guys are killing it right now. You always kill it at Brew Crew Ball, but uh, going into the postseason just a couple weeks away, content being churned out on, on an everyday basis. I always say I think most of the people who uh, listen to this podcast already listen or already uh, come to the website uh, all the time, but give a plug for what you and uh, your staff are doing right now. Yeah, you know, we've been um, hitting the ground hard all summer, uh, keeping everybody informed on, on what's going on with the team, the roster moves, the games, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, as we get closer to the postseason, we're going to start previewing what the playoff roster may look like and, um, you know, all those sorts of different situations and scenarios and that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, move into off-season coverage after that and, and get everybody ready for the upcoming season. So, um, But we've got a lot of baseball left to be played in Milwaukee and, and hopefully uh, through the end of, through the end of September and then in October and, and several more weeks after that. So um, we should have a lot of uh, a lot of great coverage coming your way as uh, we hopefully follow the Brewers on their way to a World Series. Kyle, great stuff as always. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Yeah, that sounds great. I always appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat. 
That's Kyle Lesdesky joining us here on Brewers. Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that's just about going to do it for uh, the program this week. A, a reminder this week for the Brewers, a four-game series against St. Louis starting on Monday. In all likelihood, if they could win two of these four games, they will clinch the division. If they can't win two of the four, then they've got the uh, Mets coming into town for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. And, uh, yeah, the Brewers' magic number as we talk on Sunday night sitting at three, any combination of Brewers wins and Cardinals losses that equal three that gets the uh, division one uh, as always I uh, hope you'll join me for the Brewers extra innings post game show on WTMJ uh, after games we do uh, podcast those shows but if you ever want to give immediate reaction and talk through what happened uh, we've got that for you we stream it as well for those of you who are out of the area and can't listen to WTMJ on the radio you can stream the post game show Brewers extra innings the stream goes back live after the network broadcast wraps up so 20-25 minutes after the final pitch network broadcast wraps up that's when the stream goes live and uh, we have your program for you we'll go with that uh, throughout the course of uh, the postseason as well and if you ever tune into WTMJ and you hear the Packers, you can just switch on over to 94.5 ESPN, and that's where the Brewers will be. My appreciation to Kyle Lesneski for uh, joining us. My appreciation to you for being tuned in. And we'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.